0: Whether it's the healing crash of ocean waves, the emotional power of a sad song, or that sudden unfamiliar noise that stops you dead in your tracks, sounds can instantly trigger intense reactions in the brain. Traveling into the ear, the vibrations we hear get converted into electrical signals, and then it's off to the brain where scientists are still unraveling what happens next. One end-of-life study suggests the brain still registers the last sounds a person will ever hear, even after the body has become unresponsive. Researchers have also discovered why melodies can literally move us, offering a scientific explanation for why music gives us the chills. The ability to hear connects our brains and emotions in ways that none of our other senses can, and scientists are finally beginning to make some sound sense of it. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about an end-of-life study that explains what really happens when you hear your last words. With research suggesting dying loved ones may hear something if we speak to them, our last goodbyes may not fall on deaf ears, offering a new sense of comfort during life's final moments. Our second story pinpoints why music can literally give you the chills— By studying the brain activity behind those chills, scientists are getting closer to understanding another mystery, why music is so pleasurable in the first place. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, how hearing is one of the last senses to disappear during death, and the latest research that explains what really happens when we hear our last words. So what
1: happens when we die? It's a question that humanity has wrestled with.
0: When people are dying and they look unconscious,
1: we often believe they can still hear what we're saying. It does happen that someone is conscious right to the end.
0: One of the main questions is if loved ones heard what they were saying.
1: More often, they're probably unconscious before death actually occurs. So, Although not scientifically proven, whether you know it or not, they probably are able to hear you. Researchers believe that hearing is the last sense to go when we die. Hearing is the last sense to go. Hearing is the last sense to go. So whatever you're saying, say it as though the person is completely conscious.
0: Hearing is widely thought to be the last sense to go in the dying process. Much of this belief comes from reports of near death experiences where a common recurring element of this process is hearing unusual noises or hearing oneself pronounced dead. But understanding whether a dying loved one is aware of your touch or your words has long remained a mystery, one that a June 2020 study in Scientific Reports attempted to solve. Scientists found that in the brains of actively dying patients in hospice like care, still registered activity in response to sounds. For the study, researchers monitored the brain's response to specific tones using EEG, which measures the electrical activity in the brain. They found that some dying patients responded similarly to the young, healthy controls, even when they were hours away from death. While brains responded to the auditory stimuli, we still can't be sure if someone understands language during their last hours. However, researchers say this first glimpse supports the idea of talking to people when they're dying, because something for sure is happening in their brain. Here to expand on the study and fill us in on what this could mean is Inverses' Emma Betwell. Hey, Emma. Hey, Tanya. How are you? All right. So, previous to this study, there had always been anecdotal types of evidence, whether it be near-death experiences or stories from families about last words and communicating these last words and how they're meaningful, if they can be meaningful, etc. But it was something that scientists hadn't figured out just yet. Here, though, through this study, researchers were actually able to see how the brain responds to sound during this time.
1: Yeah, so this is actually, this is all based off a study that scientists did on 17 healthy control patients, eight responsive hospice patients, and then five unresponsive hospice patients. So they were looking for signs that the brain was sort of still hearing, even if they weren't necessarily comprehending, but we'll probably get into that a little bit later. So they played these five note songs. One version was just five repeated notes, and then others had changes in tones or patterns. And they were looking for this one specific brain signal that is sort of characterized by this initial quick dip in response, and then a follow-up response, which sort of has these two parts. Um, And these are two separate spikes in signaling. And what they found was that in all of the unresponsive patients, they had that first line dip and the first half of that second spike. So the authors kind of suggest that hearing is happening, even if we're not 100% sure that comprehending is happening.
0: Right. So key here is the difference between hearing and understanding. We don't quite know that whatever registers is understood. But also key is that we can't discard that possibility, right?
1: Yeah, the study author was pretty optimistic about this, actually. There were a couple of sort of small signals within the study suggesting that maybe there is some comprehension, but this is all really, really speculative. Um, So in two of the unresponsive patients, the team found there were two instances of that sort of secondary blip of a response. So you have the dip and then one spike and another spike. And historically, that blip has been used to as a signal of comprehending in responsive patients or in healthy controls. So the author said that that might indicate a form of comprehension. But I think that he sort of hedged this in, in a way that was both responsible and comforting. So what he told me was that it's probably possible, but not proven, that some of our loved ones who are passing on can hear what we're saying, even if they're unresponsive. Whether or not they can comprehend it, it's still not shared, but the possibility exists.
0: So at the very least, knowing that this type of comprehension is possible becomes a bit of a breakthrough here. Were you able to see how and if this opens the door to future research in this area and where that might lead?
1: I mean, I think it's something that we're all pretty interested in. The more research comes out on it, the more we'll understand that sort of transitional period. But as for right now, I don't think that there's any scientific study in the world that's going to stop you from talking to somebody you love as they die. That's sort of a more emotional thing than a scientific thing. But if we can learn more about it, I'm sure that's of interest as well. But I don't think that it's going to necessarily stop anybody.
0: Very good. To read more about the study, you can head to inverse.com and check out Emma's story, Thanks so much, Emma. All right. Thanks, Tanya. In a recent study, scientists found that specific waves of brain activity increase in power when people get the chills from emotionally moving music. Up next, why music's effect on the brain can also hint at an ancient ancestral function.
1: You get shivers from listening to
0: music. Like a kind of strange chill that runs along your spine and makes the hair on your arms stand on end. Goosebumps when there's a sudden change in our emotional state. A staccato-like tingle flows through your body. A kind of aha moment. To shivers and chills and thrills. What some people call a skin orgasm. Very strong, intense emotions. Scientists prefer the term
1: frisson. This idea of frisson, this physical response. Why does music create emotions in
0: us? Like a powerful stretch of notes. and. Yeah.
1: Literally chills. I just got
0: chills. I have chills. Chills. When you hear that song, you know the one, your personal favorite that takes you to another emotional level. It can instantly change your mood and possibly even send chills down your spine. A new study confirms that's no accident. In that moment, music is activating your brain's reward system. In research published October 2020 in Frontiers in Neuroscience, a team essentially measured this relationship between music and pleasure with EEG. When the participants experienced a music-induced chill, it sparked electrical activity in regions that trigger the brain's reward systems and release the feel-good hormone dopamine. Researchers say this brain activity suggests an ancestral function for music. However, what's stumping them is that music doesn't seem to have any biological value and offers no real means for survival. It's going to take more research to truly understand why music is so biologically rewarding, but here to explain why it has the power to give you chills in the meantime is Inverse's Emma Betwell. Hey, Emma. Hey, Tanya, how are you? Good. So first off, when we say the chills, let's get to the bottom of that. Biologically, what's happening that's making us feel this sensation?
1: Yeah. So if you think, go back to a song you really like, and there's sort of this moment where it just feels really awesome and you just kind of get tingles down your spine. The idea is that that actually is sort of a sign of a rewards response in the brain. So if we look at past studies on music and pleasure, you know, once that sort of follow neurotransmitters and use fMRI imaging, we sort of see that there's like two parts to the chill response. So basically, the, when the song's first played, there's this period of anticipation. And then finally, there's a release, an actual release of dopamine, which is release, uh, you know linked to the actual feeling of the chills. So this new study basically just measured electrical activity. We're not taking brain scans or following neurotransmitters. So it means we're looking at the surface level electrical changes in the brain to see if we can sort of quantify that chill response on that level. And basically what they found was that in the brain, there are sort of these patterns of activity in two brain regions that seem to underpin the emotional aspect of the chills. So the supplementary motor area, which is sort of this region of the brain involved with motor control, and then the right temporal lobe, which is um, involved in sort of interpreting nonverbal communication. So basically they were looking at a type of wave, which is these theta waves in your brain that oscillate regularly. The power of that wave really builds up during the chill response in music, which they think is sort of the surface level signal of that deeper dopamine response in the brain. So I think that's the developing picture there.
0: So did they observe it through music that they knew would trigger such a reaction? How did they see it play out in the actual brain activity?
1: Yeah. So the study was actually based on a sample of 18 people and some of whom were amateur mu- musicians, which does sort of make a difference here. But they had people actually identify pieces of music they knew would give them the chills. So there's this, there were several rounds of that identifying that happened before the trial. So the researchers weren't guessing as to the kind of music that would give them chills compared to what would give another person chills. So, you know, there was a, a degree of personal selection there. And then there was also sort of neutral control songs that, you know, didn't really elicit any kind of emotional response from people as well.
0: Since this taps so heavily into our reward and pleasure centers, like you said, what can we make of this ultimately on a biological level? Is this perhaps an ancestral function for music or or what do we make of that?
1: Yeah, I think this line of thinking is sort of an evolutionary one where you think that if something gives us pleasure, there must be A purpose for it. So, I mean, if you think of things like eating or procreating, these things provide a survival benefit at the end of the day, if you really like boil it down to brass tacks, and they also are quite rewarding. So with music, it's a little bit more complicated, right? Because music can make us feel good, but, you know, what does it do in terms of helping us survive? So I think that's actually not really something they answer in the study, but I do think that it's sort of an interesting question to pose. I think, you know, one idea... And this is not something that they test, but something that they suggest is that during that sort of anticipation stage of the chills, we are sort of realizing that we're on a road to reward. And that's something that's related to learning in terms of, you know, a reward from learning, which would have an adaptive value. But that's not really something we can answer here. It's just an interesting question, I think, that there's, you know, a little bit more to an ancestral function of music that it's a new way of looking at it, I think.
0: And not to put you on the spot, but in covering this, did this remind you of any specific song or music that gave you the chills once, ever? Has it happened to you? Oh my
1: God. I think any, I guess like The Chain by Fleetwood Mac probably is like the uh, most cool. consistent one, but there are lots of them. That's just one that comes to mind
0: right now. Ah, good. As usual, a fascinating look at what's going on in our brain. Listeners can head to inverse.com for Emma's full story. Thanks a lot, Emma. Yeah, thanks. Head to inverse.com to read more about the latest studies on the power of sound. You can find links in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture and entertainment at inverse.com. Got something to say? Email us at theabstract@inverse.com with any questions, suggestions, story ideas and anything else on your mind. Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.